Welcome to episode 16 of the Rockin' Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Wilk, and today I'm joined by... Jimmy DeAnda, and I am the drummer for Bullet Boys, also for George Lynch and Lynch Mobs. Even though I'm holding a guitar, sorry. Very confusing, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so how did you get into rock music and playing drums specifically? Or did you play instruments before playing drums? I know you've got a guitar, so... Right, right. Actually, you know, I did play uh, guitar first, and what's funny is that uh, back when I first started playing, when you were just a gleam in your, even maybe not even your, your dad's eye yet, but um, there was, uh, where I grew up, I grew up in Boyle Heights, which is East Los Angeles, Los Angeles area. And what, what happened was, <laughs> this is really kind of silly, but uh, I wanted guitar lessons. And then there was a woman that gave guitar lessons at a school uh, at the time, when you remember when you're little, everything's far away. Everything's like so far when you're little. When you become an adult, you're like, oh, I can get there like in 20 minutes. But when you're a kid, it's like, oh, my God. So yeah. I, I, I went to the school to, to take guitar lessons, and I, and I had an acoustic guitar. And I remember uh, it, was an, it was an older woman, and I went in with my guitar. And so she sat down with the book, and, you know, she, you know, she didn't let me touch the guitar. She Literally, she goes, put the guitar down, and I, and I put it down. And so I'm, I'm sitting next to her. And she's a sweet older woman. I mean, probably, which is funny because I'm 53. She's probably younger than I am right now. But she seemed <laughs> at the time like a, like a sweet older woman. And, and I'll never forget, she gave me paper. Like she goes, okay, so here's your first guitar lesson. And I remember looking at, like, looking at the guitar and looking at the paper like, I don't understand. And she goes, well, you actually don't play guitar f for a while. And I was like, huh? Like, wait. <laughs> Wait, how does that work? And and I remember telling her on the third guitar lesson, I said, well, I, I really, I, I'm not really enjoying these lessons. I, I want you to teach me to play like Eddie Van Halen. You right. know? And, and, and I remember her, she goes, well, I don't know who Eddie Van Halen is, but I promise you learning what I'm teaching you now will help you to become a great guitar player. And I was like, no. I want to play like Eddie Van Halen. Can you teach yeah. me that? And and I remember I felt so bad because my mom was paying for it. And I <laughs> my mom, I would get on the bus to go there, but I would never get there. I'd get to the arcade down the block, and then I would spend an hour at the arcade to get back on the bus and go home. So my mom didn't feel bad because she was paying for a month of lessons. So I ended up doing and not really going and, and playing. And uh, and what's what's you know what now that I'm older. I never learned like any of the of the proper scales. I never learned like proper chord structure. I mean, I know the majors, the ACDC chords, I call them. But had I listened to her, I probably would be the guitar player that she said I was going to be. But at the time, when you're a kid, you you see Eddie Van Halen in the 70s, because we saw Van Halen in the 70s. It changes your life. You just like, that's it. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, um, so I played guitar for a minute. And then in, in junior high school... Um, I, I didn't like PE, uh, you know, PE, correct? Yeah. So I didn't like it because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love sports, but in the, the locker room, uh, guys would play what they call grab ass and where they grab your junk and stuff and they mess around with you. And, and honestly is very uncomfortable for me. And I yeah. remember not liking it because they would do the thing where they whip, they get the towel and they whip your ass and shit. I mean, it just, yeah. you know, and it just, I, I'm telling you, it just wasn't fun for me. So I remember I went to my guidance counselor and I, and I said, I don't like PE. And he said, well, you have to take an elective. So I had to go, I went to, uh, to look at all the classes. Okay. I went to metal class, 
I went to wood shop. I went to um, um, auto mechanic or whatever the hell that was called back then. And then the last one was walking down this corridor and it was banned and I could hear a, I could hear a drummer playing like you know the, the, what are called the um oh shit uh, contra toms I think it's just, it's like it's like like four toms that are like you you hook onto your body and it's like and it was all this really cool sound I was like that's it so that's when I started playing drums uh, I was in the eighth grade nice yeah yeah I kind of <laughs> so I play guitar also and bass when I started playing guitar, I didn't take lessons for my first, like, I don't know, year, year and a half. So I, like, kind of learned everything in a very backwards way. Because, like you said, you want to learn how to play, like, Eddie Van Halen. So I was, like, trying to learn how to, like, tap and all this crazy stuff without even knowing right? the chords, barely. <laughs> like, <laughs> I learned everything in the wrong order. So once I started lessons, I kind of had to go back and, like, start over. <laughs> You know, and I'll tell you what's funny is because I did that also on drums a little bit because I didn't really learn drums. I had I have a really unique gift, and this is that this is true. If if I see you play a hard part on drums, as long as I see it, I can play it. It doesn't matter how hard it is. I mean, as long as I see what your hands and your feet are doing, I can learn it. So I was able to. Um, excel in, in drums and drum corps but i could never get seat number one which is you know the uh, first chair i couldn't get it because then i'd have to know it so i could only watch the guy to the right of me and then once i got it then i'm like oh, okay that i would i know how to play it so yeah. but i once i i, I did a uh, on the first bullet boys album uh the, uh there used to be a thing in hip creator magazine or some magazine where um Another musician, a more famous musician, takes your drum parts and writes out the charts, charts it out so they so people can learn the, the drum line. And I remember I looked at it and I was like, that's what I'm playing? I, I had no idea because I couldn't read. So it yeah. was really interesting. So it's kind of a similar thing, learning it backwards. Yeah, definitely. So tell me how you kind of went from starting playing drums to uh, meeting the bandmates and Bullet Boys and joining the band. Well, what's funny is that... Um, you know, at the time that when I started playing music, it was in Los Angeles and, and the Hollywood and the Sunset Strip scene was um, just becoming what it, you know, would, what you would see in videos and what the whole world would see, <clears throat> you know, in about five or six years from when I started playing. And what's funny, because before we got this started and, and we were talking about you were saying how you're going to go out to see uh, a couple of bands or see a band at some point tonight. This is the first time in a year since we've been in this pandemic. And, you know, and I mentioned hold that thought because I wanted to share this with you because one of the amazing things that we got to experience being in Los Angeles is that you'd go see a local band, okay? And the opening band would be Rat. I yeah. mean, it was incredible. You know, you would go see, like, because like, Quiet Riot was a band in the 70s with Randy Rhodes, and then they broke up and Randy went to Ozzy. And then Kevin Dubrow had his own band called Dubrow. <clears throat> now, we saw Dubrow in that interim before he went back to Quiet Riot and they became one of the biggest bands in the world. So we saw them right. on a stage to maybe 100 people, you know, one of the bands who ended up becoming one of the biggest bands in the world. So, you know, it's funny because you said, well, I'm, sure I'm just going to see local bands. Well, remember, that local band could be one of the next big bands that, that the world knows. So yeah, for us, totally. you know what I mean? So for yeah. us, it was a it was a blessing that being in Los Angeles that you could see some of the, you could and, and it's crazy because you could see Eddie Van Halen walk in and out of, out of a club called Gazzari's at the time. He would go there on a Wednesday night just to have drinks, and we'd be outside going, uh, 
Eddie Van Halen just walking from his car, you know, into the club. Like, uh, okay, that's Edward. And uh, and so it was such a blessing for us. But uh, I was playing, like I said, locally where I grew up at, and the singer from Bullet Boys, who actually was a guitar player and played guitar for Rat for a while, and he would uh, give my brother guitar lessons. So we were kind of like, you know, in cities that were close to each other. And um, he, he went to a rehearsal one time uh, to help my brother, because one of the things that he, in the guitar lessons, he'd tell my brother, let me come to your rehearsal so I could see, you know, how you're coming along. And saw yeah. me play drums when I was um, 15. And, and I'll never forget, he came up to me and he goes, hey, dude, he goes, when you're, he goes, you're a really good drummer at 15. He says, when you're 18, I'm going to come back and get you. And I thought, like, yeah, sure, you know, sure you will. Yeah. Uh, lo, lo and behold, I, then by the point that uh, that Bullet Boys, because remember, Bullet Boys was a band for uh, maybe about three to six months before I joined, and they had a drummer. And um, so I would go see them play. And then one night backstage, they had a full band fight where it was, oh, it was ugly. And I mean, they, they were going to kick the drummer's ass. It was like that, it was that bad. Yeah. And I remember, the ba I remember the bass player for Bullet Boys, Lonnie, turned to me, and I swear to God, right in front of the drummer. He goes, hey, Jimmy, he goes, are you ready to join Bullet Boys now, bro? Because we're fucking ready, bro. This guy's a dick, bro. Fuck you, you're going to join Bullet Boys. And I was like, okay. And I was like, in the, like being thrusted into this thing. And, yeah. then, um, and then literally the next week, I got a call from the singer, Mark, and he goes, hey, dude, we are auditioning drummers. And they have Scott Travis from Judas Priest was one of the guys that was coming in. Um, the other drummer was, um, I can't think of his name off. Oh, no, no, I know. It was, uh, Anthony Fox, who Anthony Fox ended up playing for Alice Cooper and I think Lita Ford World, but also became mm -hmm. an am amazing producer. Anyway, so those guys came in and I thought, oh, well, you know, at the time Scott Travis was like in LA was one of the fucking, like he was like a monster drummer. Everybody loved him. Yeah. He was, yeah, he, he was uh, just out of the band Racer X for a minute. And, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, shit, well, there's, there's no way I'm getting this gig. Scott okay. Travis is going to get the gig for sure. And that uh -huh. guy, Anthony Fox, at the time, Anthony Fox was a great drummer, too. So I thought, oh, well, there's no way. And, uh, and lo and behold, at the end of the, the, all the auditions, and they had other guys, too, um, the manager came up to me and goes, Jimmy, what's, you know, I, we want you to join the band. And I was like, uh, okay, I, I, I have a band, but. I don't know if I could leave my band. And so it took some coercing, but at the time, you know, it, it was really, it was such an amazing experience to then go, okay, I'm in the band. And literally, literally seven shows later, we were signed to Warner Brothers Records with the same people that did all the Van Halen albums, that produced all the Van Halen albums, did all yeah. the artwork for the Van Halen albums, uh, the same staff that, 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 that did the booking, you know, over at the agencies. So it was such an amazing, like, like, I, I couldn't believe it was happening, you know? Yeah. And also, I was 19. That's crazy. Yeah. I was 19 at the time, so yeah. Um, it was amazing. I just, uh, one of the first episodes of this podcast, I interviewed PJ Farley from Trickster, mm. and he, I had asked him about um, his experience, like, playing and touring with, because he toured with uh, Warren and Firehouse when he was 17. Right. So I was like, what was that like? Like, that's crazy, you know? So that kind of reminded me of what you were saying about yourself. Right. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when you're a kid and you really don't, I'll be honest with you, there were a lot of times I was homesick, you know, because I'd never left my house before. I never went to New York to be on MTV. 
I mean, that was right. something that you, you can look it up, you know, when we're done that we were on a show called Mouth to Mouth and it was on MTV and we did Smooth Up and For the Love of Money. And uh, it was my first time ever leaving my city, let alone my state and going yeah. to New York and, and staying in Manhattan. I mean, staying right in, right, you know, fucking Manhattan, Manhattan, you know, yeah, we were yeah. staying, you know, and I remember it was just like, so was such culture shock. And, and then I remember being on MTV and you could see, and it's so funny. I'm such a kid. I swear. It's so funny. Uh, in the video of mouth to mouth, I want you to look at it because there's, <laughs> there's a moment where I'm literally looking at what it is like the lights and, and, and like, like all like, like the rigging and stuff. I'm like, uh, just absorbing the whole thing. <laughs> you could literally see me doing that. Like they're interviewing the guy. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was such a great experience and we got to really, you know, and again, it was a part of that, that movement that happened at that time period where so many bands came out and, and a lot of great bands. I'll be honest. I don't think, I think it was a lot of crappy bands too, because I think that they, they, mm -hmm. they didn't get the message, which, you know, to me, the message was what Van Halen did. It was playing yeah. rock and roll music from the heart. And I'm, excuse me, but from the fucking balls. I mean, playing stuff right. that really, you meant it when you did it. And I think that yeah. there came a time when a lot of bands just looked the part. Yeah. You know what I mean? But didn't have the real fucking, what it took to be, uh, in that community but you know I, yeah. it wasn't me to say who could stay or not yeah i mean and i think i think the same goes there was like a lot of underground bands that were great yeah. that didn't get the recognition you know what i mean yeah. uh, so i think it definitely goes both ways in that situation now yeah, actually yeah. that brings me to my next question how do you feel about the term hair metal or glam metal because a lot of people have said they don't like it and a lot mm -hmm. of people don't mind it so i want to know what your thoughts are well, it, you know, it, it did. I, I didn't think it was accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I mean, it's just it's kind of a weird thing. I, I mean, and remember, the person that came up with that was some buffoon at at, at a record company or at a radio station. They just, right. you know, he called, he termed, he, he he dubbed it, and then people started saying it, and and it's just so silly because to me, Van Halen is a hair metal. Van Halen's fucking rock and roll. They're hard rock. Cheap yeah. Trick isn't hair metal. They're rock and roll. I don't know why, but I, I guess, I mean, I do understand because what they, were, what they were implying was that the musicians cared more about their hair than they did about the music in some cases. And that was true. But not all bands were like that. You right. know, I mean, yeah. but yeah, I think, I they think got a lot of bands got that. lumped into that category that didn't really deserve to be just Absolutely. like... Uh, kind of uh like taken down to be just about the look you know what i mean right right yeah that's the and, only and you're right. to ever be named just by the way people look <laughs> but at the same time it's also the same genre that was created through video you know yeah, so that's true so yeah so image was really important at the time like you had to look because and now I want you to do this because if you have, because, because we've done this before and it's, it's kind of a weird kind of like to show you the balance or unbalance that is like, if you look at like Christopher Cross, you know, Christopher Cross is by chance. I don't. Okay. Look at him about it, but nothing against him. I, I love him. And I think, but his look is not a rock look. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, so if you take some of the musicians from the seventies and based their, if they were going to be successful on their look, you would say, well, that guy's not going to be successful because he, he had short hair. He was kind of chubby, but he wrote some of the best music ever. And that's, I think where we lost our, our way is that we started to, like you said, look at what it looked like. What does it look like? If it looks good, then we're going to go after it. But yeah. they stopped, you know, uh, what is the sound? Is, is there music good? Do they have a great story to tell? You know, that's yeah. the thing that I think that, again, that's why the music became so shitty because they only looked like who looked good. Let's get them in here. And, and then they tried getting uh, songwriters to pair up with them and write songs for them. And it became such a, it wasn't real. Like I said, it wasn't from the heart and it wasn't from the balls. It was just this kind of like package it and let's, let's try to sell it before anything, even if it's good or not, if we know if it's good or not. So yeah, that was tough. That was tough. And I think that actually is kind of reminiscent of like the pop scene today. Like everything's just kind of manufactured and you know what I mean? It's interesting when I see like, it's very rare when I see an artist in like the pop scene that's like not super cookie cutter. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, you know, a a buddy of mine, because I I was in a hip hop and rap before, literally, I I know you're going to believe this, but I was in the, before most anybody that I knew in my circle, you know, I'm talking about 1984, I was getting to run DMC in, in 84, but a, a buddy of mine termed this, uh, told me this term recently that he calls rap guys now, he calls them glam rap. And I was like, <laughs> dude, that's perfect. Because yeah. they, they, took, they took over in, from what the glam guys did because they have all the look, they got the fucking grill going on, they got all the image, but they got none of the substance. They got nothing like Tupac. They got nothing like like the Public Enemy guys or Beastie Boys. Yeah. Like that was there were things that they were saying that you would go, okay, I can get behind this. Where I feel like today it's just all the image for them too. So glam rap. I'm like, dude, that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I've I've talked to a bunch of different people and they've all brought up like how kind of the rappers of today are um, similar to like they're like the equivalent the equivalent of rock stars. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they're living that life. They have crazy. music, you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's interesting that everyone consistently keeps saying that. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> it's true, though. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. So after being in the industry for so long and playing shows for so long, do you ever still get nervous before playing a big show? Always. I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> not been nervous before a show. Um, and I'll tell you what, I, I heard a, a extremely famous musicians say, listen, if you're not a little nervous be- before you go on stage, stop playing because it yeah, should still exactly. make you, yeah, it should still make you fucking get a little like, oh, this is great. You know, and I yeah. still do that to this very day. I have to, I, I used to do this thing uh, in the arenas back in the day because I was so excited and, I, and my tempo was too fast. And I start playing, oh my God, like fucking, oh my God. So I taught myself how to go to sleep like about an hour before we play, I could literally get my breathing down to real slow. And I would now it's, you know, that sleep, it's not like a real deep sleep, but cause you can still kind of like, you're still like up here a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's what I would do. I'd close my eyes and breathe for like a good 10 minutes. And then for 20 minutes, I would just literally fall into this thing. And then when I got up, I felt like calm and then I'd, I could get on stage and play the grooves like they are. And then I was good to go. But before that, sometimes I'd get on and I'm telling you, the guys in the band, they're much older than me. They would look back at me like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, they would like be like upset because I'm playing the song way too fast. 
you know, yeah. so I, I had to learn to bring it all down. But yeah, I definitely still get nervous to this very day. So is it like a meditation you use to kind of keep yourself from going crazy? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You know, it's a part of yoga. I mean, I learned it from a friend of mine back then who was uh, one of the engineer or the engineer for all the Bullet Boys albums, uh, Jeff Hendrickson. He had taught me this in the studio and it's just laying down and it's going from the very tip of your toes. Okay. And stretching them and, and, and releasing them and then, and then breathing in and out slowly and, do, and then doing your ankles, moving your feet up and down, and then doing tightening and releasing your calf muscles all the way up to your head. And then by the time, that's like 10 minutes. By the time you're done there and you're doing this deep, slow breathing, I'm telling you, your body is complete jelly. You just literally shut down. And, and I'm telling you, it's still, I do this when I'm stressed out too. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I have anxiety, because I have anxiety and I have stress, I have all that shit too, like everybody has. I'll lay here on the yeah. floor in the studio and I'll fucking do that same thing, and I'll, and I'll just breathe for 20 minutes. And then when I get up, I'm like, you're okay. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Just relax. Yeah. And, I'm, and then I'm able to, to continue my day. Yeah. I think that's definitely something some more people need to get into. I feel like not enough people do meditation. People need to be chiller. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so... At the end of 2019, it was announced the original lineup of Bullet Boys would be reuniting. So tell me what led up to that. Well, uh, the truth was, you know, I, I think everybody in, in, in the band, no matter where they went and what they did in other projects, there was always, you know, somebody or a handful of people saying, hey, do you think you'll ever get back with Bullet Boys? And I would be out there because I've been playing with George Lynch since 2000. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, uh, and they would ask me from time to time with George, say, hey, are, are you and uh, uh, Jimmy, are you ever going to go back with Bullet Boys? And for the most part, I really, you know, there was no need to. I really felt that, unfortunately, we all kind of, we were in bad places mentally towards the end of Bullet Boys, and there was never really a resolve. Like, no one ever, yeah. you know, like, like when you have a fight with your boyfriend or you have a fight with anybody, for that matter, you know, if you don't kind of go back and at least say, hey, listen, I... I I screwed up. I'm sorry. Or, you know, Hey, look, there's no way, you know, I, we, we can't change it. Can we move forward and just have yeah. a discussion about that? So there was never any of that that ever happened. So there was still a lot of, uh, uh, emotions that would, were not good about the experience with bullet boys for at least me. I can't speak for anybody else. So by the time 2018 rolled around, I had a couple of failed attempts with the other members of bullet boys, you know, minus Mark, you know, at different times that just didn't work out. And then one day I was uh, um, talking to the original Bullet Boys manager, Dave Kaplan. And, um, you know, and, and he had said, he goes, Jimmy, and he goes, he goes so you, do you think you'll ever go back with Bullet Boys? And I go, I'll tell you what's funny, Dave, because I didn't have a band at the moment. And I said, you know, um, Lonnie, the bass player, has been bringing it up, like saying, hey, Jimmy, what do you think about going back and playing with Mark? And I was like, dude, I can't, I, I'm not ready for that. And then my manager, the old manager, who's still my manager to, today, uh, uh, he goes, Jimmy, you're, you're in your 50s now, okay? There's a lot of money out there. It's your money. Go get your money. And I go, what? I go, what? And he goes, Jimmy, he goes, do you think this is going to last forever, dude? I literally sat there like, I wasn't ready to hear that. I mean, yeah. he just kind of like, he just, he hit it like that. One two, three. And I was like, Oh my God, he's completely right. And I remember I called up Lonnie and I said, Hey dude, 
why don't you call Mark and, and, and let's have a sit down. He said, are you serious? And I go, yeah, let's do it. And then before I could even get back, because I was still on the road with Lynch Mob, before I, uh, I, was, I was gone for a while, I had seen that Mick, the guitar player, and Mark had got together and did a thing, a jam at the Whiskey, where they played a couple of songs together. So I was like, oh, shit. So, okay, this is a meant to be. This is a meant to be moment. I mean, this is all without trying to make it happen. This is all starting to come together. So uh, it was just, you know, it was a matter of really, and still, honey, I'll be honest with you, to this day, we're still working through problems that we have from the past. You know, it's it's like, you know, you know, I mean, look, we never dealt with them. They're, They're not resolved issues. So they'll come up every now and again. And we have to remember you guys with love. Let's move forward. If you, if you have a problem, with respect and love, let's say, listen, dude, I don't like when you do that. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel like I don't want to be a part of this thing. And I don't want to walk away from it. So please help me to move forward. You know, let's find some, 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 you know, some, uh, some resolve here so we can actually move forward. And that's really what we've been doing. And, and during, like you said, during the pandemic, it has been difficult because, you know, it's like we can't do anything, but we're still a band. So, you know, right. there have been discu- there's been discussions just trying to figure out how do we keep it together while nothing's going on. So, right. um, you know, but again, for me, it was talking to Dave Kaplan that time. He said, Jimmy, your money's out there. Go get it. And, and then that's all I was like, okay. So that was it. And how has the response been from people? Has it been largely positive? Well, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you where it's been positive. It's in positive places where uh, I think people want to see, have been wanting to hear the, the music from Bullet Boys from the original members. You know, they wanted to right. hear that stuff. And, and now that they're hearing it, you know, they're like, holy shit, dude, this is, this is great. You know, because you know, I'm good friends with Fred Corey from Cinderella, you know, good friends with, um, I mean, a lot, I mean, really what's funny is a lot of drummers, you know, Troy Lucetta from Tesla, you know, when I've told them, they're like, dude, it's, it's, it's been way too long. You should have done this t- like 10 years ago. And I go, you know, we weren't ready then. But um, yeah. a lot of people, especially our contemporaries, are, are excited for us. And I am too, because though I can't tell you who, but th- there, there's talks right as we speak. Even, I mean, I got a call this morning about Bullet Voice going on tour with two singers of, Lee, uh, 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 of bands that you grew up listening to that uh, for, for next year. So... It's exciting, you know, it's just to hear yeah. the offers like Jimmy, there are offers or big offers. I'm like, okay, great, you know, yeah. so uh, we're excited. You have that feeling of like, we're back, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes and no, because I'm still in my studio t- tuning guitar, so it's not like, we're back. It's like, we're back ish, you know. Once I know we're flying out every weekend and we're playing, you know, right. the places, you know, uh, then I'll feel like, okay, we're back. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. I mean, you guys got back together and then it was like, oh, well, just kidding. Everything's shut down. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, like us, Motley Crue, Rage Against the Machine, all announced, you know, full reunion, all original members. And it's like, no, nope, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, um, I look forward to uh, seeing the original Bullet Boys lineup. I mean, I actually saw Mark with the previous Bullet Boys lineup, uh, like just before you guys got back together, like one of the last shows with that lineup. I have a poster right there. Nice. <laughs> um, and nice. I was on I was on Monsters or Rock Cruise this past year, and I was so upset because I knew you guys were playing, and I had to work at a meet and greet. <laughs> oh shit! No. I was like, oh, I can't even see them. And at that point, I was like, oh well, I'll be able to see them on the road this year. 
Nope. And then, <laughs> and then not so much. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> well, it, it's, you know, again, it's just nice to be playing with the guys because I know that the, the, you know, nothing against anybody that's ever sat in our chairs before, but the music has never sounded right. And, and, I, and now it sounds right because it's, it's really, it's more about uh, the personalities behind the instruments than it is the actual instruments, I think, in some cases. But, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm excited because, again, you know, uh, I'm getting closer with, I mean, me and Lonnie have kind of always been close. Um, we, we have a similar background, but me and Mick would be in and out sometimes and we're getting much closer. And of course, the one guy who was my best friend growing up and gave my brother guitar lessons, that guy that brought me into Bull Boys, he's a guy that I haven't had any contact with for years because yeah. again, because we, we were the closest and, and so the, the scar was the deepest between he and I. Yeah. So now he comes here and we talk and we, we have a side project that we're going to release once Bull Boys gets up and running. We have a side project that we, we have great music for. And, uh, you know, so we, you know, we're finally, I think, we're in a good headspace where we can be friends and then we can go on to be bandmates. And then hopefully for another line, we can actually make records and do other things like that together. So I'm excited for all of us. Yeah, that's great. So what are your future plans with that? Is there a potential for a new album of like original, all original Bullet Boys or? Yeah, again, right now, I mean, I, I want to say, you know, yes, there's always a, a, a possibility. But again, I, there was there was a lot of animosity, you know, in the world of, of, of the, the recording process with, with the band and how things were done uh, between a few of the, of, of the members of Bullet Boys. So everybody's got to be in a good headspace to do it. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. You know, yeah. um, I, I've made three records with George Lynch. You know, I, I play drums on the Burning Rain record. Um, and, you know, I, I can go out and make records with anybody at any time. And that's something that that's all I do here. I, this is my studio. I just I do tracks for local bands in some cases that can afford it. But, you know, I'm about making music and getting stuff out there. So I do it because I love it. I, right. don't, want anybody, I don't want anyone to ever make a record with me because they're obligated. You know, I want them to go, fuck, I'm, I'm going with Jimmy today. I'm going to fucking put drum tracks and guitar tracks down. And you know, I want them to be excited about it. And if they're not, yeah. then, I say, then don't do it. If you get excited one day, call me. If you're not, don't trip, man. You know, it's, yeah. uh, again, it's just, it, life's too short to walk in this shit and be angry. And, you know, yeah. and be <laughs> upset about shit. You know, I don't want anyone right. doing that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to kind of like make peace with your past, you know? Girl, you you were uh you're wise beyond your years. Thank you. Um, so if you had to put together your own super group with you playing drums, who would be the other members? <laughs> oh my god, are you crazy? Seriously, that's like, an, uh, oh my god, uh, I, I literally couldn't begin to tell you. Um, I. I, I Oh my God, seriously, that's so hard of a question because I had three singers all pop in my mind and it was uh, James Brown, Freddie Mercury, uh, Robert Plant. And then, and then I was like, I, I saw like other guys. I was like, I can't even, I can't imagine, um, you know, uh, of course to me, Edward Van Halen, you know, and, and we got to become friends with Eddie, you know, back in the day. Cause again, we were around the same circles, but you know, I would have loved to have played with Ed on, on some stuff, even though Alex is the perfect drummer for him. I would have loved yeah. that. Um, honestly, I, I seriously, my, my mind is like flying to think like who I could jam with. I mean, you know, and, and what's funny is <laughs> I think of things like this. 
I'd want to be in a band with John Bonham and I just play the bass guitar. That's, I mean, that's how, like, how much I loved him as a drummer. But yeah. uh, as far as bands, I, I really, I, honestly, honey, I couldn't even think like, you know, between John Paul Jones as a bass player and Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy as a bass player and Paul McCartney as a bass player. I mean, I would literally sit there for an hour telling you what bass just players Just have a whole rock orchestra. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I know I, I get a lot of flack for this because people, well, not a flack, but I mean, people trip out. But I, to me, Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitar player that ever lived. Mm -hmm. That's my personal opinion. That's my take. And when people go, what about Randy Rhodes? And I go, Randy Rhodes is definitely up there in my top five. But yeah. I mean, to me, I think about Jimi Hendrix going, well, there's nobody in front of me that I go and look at and go, oh, what does he do? He does this. He had nobody. Everybody after Hendrix can go, well, what did Hendrix do? And then they can kind right. of go from, he was the touchstone. He was the first one. And right. then from then, Tony Iommi, Jimmy Page, Everybody else looked at him and went, oh, so we can do that? Yeah, you could do that shit. You know, so yeah. that's why I think Hendrix, I always, I always uh, uh, credit Hendrix as being the greatest ever. But I would have loved to play with Randy Rhodes, too. He was my, you know, I saw, we saw Randy. Me and my brother saw Randy on the last tour before he passed away. And I'm telling you right now, the cage, they, they, they were behind these bars, these cages, him and, and Rudy Sarzo. And then the bars came up and the guys ran out to the stage. And I remember, like, I sort of got, you know, even though I should have been staring at an Aussie the whole time, I my eyes went, and I remember just the whole show looking at Randy Rhodes, just being like, I, I know this might sound even a little weird, but like being attracted to him. Like, seriously, I'm not even fucking joking. Like, he was so beautiful. Like, literally, like, I mean, I feel like, like, oh my, I love him. Like, I literally, yeah. like, I love him. And, that's, and then he started playing fucking leads, and you were like, what the fuck? I mean, it was completely like, you never saw anything like that before since. I'm telling you right now. He was, again, yeah. that's why I put him in my, in my top five all time. But, um, yeah, there's no way I could, I could try to figure out an ultimate jam band. I'd be here for hours. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I'll tell you, it was really funny a couple of years back, because I give beginning drum, guitar, and bass lessons here. Uh, nobody over 13, because every kid over 13 goes, oh, I know now. Oh, I know that. And it's like, <laughs> okay, then if you know it all, go home. So it's all kids that are younger than 13 I give lessons to. I haven't done it in a while, though. But uh, I remember towards the, like, like, two years ago, three years ago, nobody, uh, everyone started asking uh, uh, to, to teach them 80s rock. And it was so, like, how do you know that band? Like, oh, my, this is my, my dad's favorite band. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was really, it, it was cool because, like, you know, for the longest time, it was, and it was never, I'll tell you, it was never, like, Blink-182 or it wasn't, you know, any of the bands, like it wasn't Corn or somebody. It was always, can you show me ACDC? Can I learn some Led Zeppelin, Black yeah. Sabbath, Van Halen? You know, those were kind of all the staples. And then somewhere, like I said, something happened. And it was like, can you show me Dawkin? And, and <laughs> can you show me, you know, and it was just like really kind of like, okay, uh, Motley Crue. Okay, we can learn Wild Side. And, you know, uh, so that was, a, it was a really cool experience to go, okay, so. That music, because the truth is this, and I've said this in interviews before, if someone doesn't continue playing that music, guess what happens? It goes away. Right. You know? yeah. And so you got to keep playing it if you want to stay around. So that's why I'm glad a lot of bands up in the 80s still tour, because mm -hmm. it's important for other generations to hear that music and inspire other kids. Definitely. I mean, how I got into like all this, you know, hair metal that I listen to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go back to that. <laughs>
Right. So, my parents always played that when I was little, like um, Tesla, Striper, uh, Dokken, like all that Warren, okay. all the 80s okay. bands, you know? And then when I, I got into it a little when I was like nine, I listened to like Motley Crue, Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses. Those were like my three favorites. Oh, and yeah. then I saw Monsters of Rock Cruise for the first time when I was 11. And then that just kind of like, it was like my first concert, like my first 30 concerts <laughs> in a matter nice. of So it was like, yeah. that just kind of really threw me off the deep end. And then I started my publication after that. And then we're just, now we're here. Now, then I was on the media team for the Monsters of Rock Cruise last year. They asked me to join the media team, which is like insane. Like that was the coolest thing ever. Like that's all my favorite bands, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? And that's why, because again, you dreamed big and you said, I want to go after that. And you made it happen. You know, and, and that's really what, what I did. I wanted to be a successful musician and I didn't give up until I did something, until I made, I met the right people. And then after that, it's like, now let's get to work. And that's what's the same thing that you did. So that's yeah. really awesome that you're there. Are you now, are you going to be at the next one too? The next Monsters of Rock Cruise? Yeah. Yeah. I'm booked for it. So I'm excited. Well, I just can't wait for it to come back. I miss it. <laughs> oh, believe me. I talk to Larry every, uh, about every other day. And, uh, and we're both excited. I mean, he's, of course, extremely excited, but yeah. it's going to be nice to get back to work. And you'll see us there because we'll be on, on the cruise. So you sure. get to finally see us now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That'll be exciting. I'm, I'm the youngest person I've ever been on the media team. I was 13 when I was on the media team. I'm 14 now. Like, that's nice. insane. Like, how? I don't know. I just, I guess it's a matter of meeting the right people. It is. Especially with like doing interviews and starting my publication. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I started this when I was 12. Like <laughs> I just met people on Monsters of Rockers, met artists and said, hey, by the way, I do interviews. <laughs> Guess what? You know, uh, I hate to say this, but if you don't go out and start saying, hey, I do interviews, no one's going to know you do interviews. Of course. So yeah. it's, just, it's just really a matter of going, hello, I'm here. I do the interviews now because I used to do that with drum gigs. I would walk to, I swear to God, I'm not lying. I'd walk to a band and go, dude, you have the wrong drummer. I'm the drummer for this band. You need to get me out. I swear to God. And they would look at me like I was crazy. But guess what? I get a call going, so you said you're the drummer for this band. Um, and we're really interested now. Like, like, what is it you do? And I go, I'll be over tonight. I'll rehearse with you guys tonight. And I'd get there and they're like, dude, you're the drummer for this band, bro. And so it was, you know, it was just about going out there and putting that energy out there. And because yeah. and, 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 and once you start that journey, at some point, it's going to come around. But you got to be patient. Yeah. You got to work hard. And you got to maintain this. Because nobody likes this guy. Nobody wants to be around that person. That person, that beautiful smile, People are like, bring her in, let's get to work. And that's what's good about it. Yeah. Yeah. When you're young, you're excited about something and you know your shit and you've done the research and you know what you're talking about, it's a completely different world at that point. And again, that's what you have done at this time. So that's what's great. you know. And I, I really believe, I'm telling you, in a year from now, you're going to be doing this. It's going to be even bigger than you've done so far. So it's going to be great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Are you ready for another really intense, difficult question? <laughs> Let's hear it. What album do you consider to be the soundtrack of your life? Oh, my God. <laughs> go figure. This one's easy. Okay. Go for it. Van Halen, Women and Children First. Boom. Love it. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's, that's the year and the summer where, uh, where everything just came together in my life. Yeah. Great. Love that. Yeah. Um, so after this whole long conversation we've had about your career, what would you say is your proudest moment you've had in your career so far? Um, 
Well, I'll tell you honestly, uh, I think that because I took off four years from the industry to raise my son, I was the home father. My wife went to work. I stayed home with my son, mm-hmm. our son, excuse me. And, uh, and getting back into the industry and finding myself was, was a difficult task because I'd forgotten who I was. You know, not, not unlike uh, uh, any mom that stays home to take care of their, their children, they, 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 they're no longer who they are, okay? They are a reflection of the children, okay? Because everything they do is for this, uh, these other people or this other person, you know? Right. They're, they're second on the importance list. And when, now, that, now that I'm older and I've been around a while, you know, when I see a woman who's able to then, after having children, you know, start taking care of herself and working out and, and taking maybe a course at, at, at a school, at, at college or finding herself again. That shit is seriously, I am not joking. You know, uh, you might experience it someday, might not. But, you know, finding who you are and then making yourself happy again because you're so used to making other people happy. You're, you're used to making sure they're fed, they're taken care of, and that's it. So when I was able to kind of get back into the music industry, I, I didn't have confidence. That was the thing that I had all my life that, that, that really separated me from, uh, uh, from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Other drummers is, is I had this really overwhelming confidence, but I could back it up by playing really good drums. I didn't have the confidence. My, my chops weren't there like they used to be. And, um, you know, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a kind of a difficult time period. And um, so me getting back and finding who I was playing great drums again and then starting to play with a bunch of great musicians again you know uh that was something that i i swear it didn't get lost on me i literally every rehearsal that i would go to every even shitty little gig to 20 people i was like fuck yeah this is great it's great man i you know i can't wait 20 people i'm gonna fucking rock your house right now dude i mean it became yeah. like uh, um more of this like i I was excited for life again. I was excited to be who I once was, but growing up now. And um, to me, that's probably my, my, my biggest accomplishment that I'm most uh, proud of is that I, I was able to find myself again. Because I, I can tell you right now, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies. Um, I know a lot of musicians who lost themselves. And if you go see them play today, you're watching them play and the guy's like, and you're like, wow, I've never seen a concert, a uh, footage of him where he was just having the greatest time and he was fucking playing. But now you see him and he's just up there and he's like, you know, because yeah. he lost himself and, and then he, he didn't find himself or he hasn't as of yet. So again, I, I'm just, I, I'm proud that I was able to do that. And again, that was the help of my wife. That was the help of people around me reminding me like, dude, you used to be so crazy on drums. You used to, used to hang from the rafters. You used to do all kinds of stuff. And I was like, I did. Oh, okay. You know? And, um, and, and of course, when you get you get compliments like, I'll never forget. Like, there's a handful of drummers that have come up to me over the last 20 years. The drummer from um, uh, David Lee Ross band, Greg Bissonette, came to me one day and he's like, "Dude, he was that first Bullet Boys album." Because I played that record every day during the, that David Lee Roth tour. I was like, "You did?" I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, um, just it, it's just amazing. Like, if I get a compliment, like the drummer from one of the biggest uh, Latin bands ever, Mana. The drummer from, from, from that back here to goes, Jimmy, I'm a huge fan of yours. I was like, dude, you play literally 15 nights at the forum. I mean, and oh, my God. You know, or just any, you know, even a fan who came up to me and will say, you know, Jimmy, I saw you play, you know, open for Bon Jovi back in 89. 
and dude, literally, you know, after I saw you play, I changed the way I played my drums. And, and that shit's like, dude, fucking seriously, thank you for that. That Because I, I, I wasn't trying to do any of that stuff. The fact of the matter that I, uh, that I left a positive imprint on anybody, that's like, holy crap, thank you, thank you, Lord, I appreciate this. That's, that's way too much of a gift. So, you know, I'm just, again, I'm grateful that I was able to get back to what I did best and doing it for the right reasons and doing it clean and sober. Because I, well, I haven't mentioned that, but tw uh, a little under 20 years ago, I got clean and sober. You know, I went through some, like, some of the darkest times in my life. And, um, and, and I know now that what I do and I have in the studio that I have and all the gear that I have and the relationships that I have are all really due to the fact that I got clean and sober because nobody wanted to be around me when I was a loaded idiot. Nobody. You know, it was a complete, I was a, I was a disaster. And, and you know, and in rock and roll, there's so many casualties of musicians who got fucked up and either overdosed and died or, or just are this shadow of their former self. They're not really who they once were, you know, right. and, uh, and, and the fact that I was able to kind of, you know, and I still, I still attend, you know, NA and AA meetings to this very day while well, not during pandemic, but um, you know, when I get out, uh, we got out of this, I'll get back to my meetings. And, and again, that's all, these are all the blessings that, that I've been able to experience since, uh, since I got clean and sober. So, yeah. Nice. So this might go along with the question I just asked, but what would you say has been uh, the most valuable life lesson you've learned as a result of your experiences in the music industry? Oh, well, you know what? That's interesting because I, I really believe, and it's an unfortunate thing that a lot of younger people don't get to have the experience is to go out and make stuff happen. You yeah. know, that's the thing that, that in the, in the 70s and the 80s with the bands that I played with, you know, those guys taught me that, you know, um, you got to go get it. You got to go right. get it. You have to go out there. You have to knock on doors. You have to let people know, you know, like I said, like, hey, I'm the drummer for this band, dude. I'm the guy. You have to go out there and work for that stuff. And, yeah. um, and, and, and if you sit around waiting for your door, someone knocking your door, you're going to be waiting around for a long time because yeah. it, it just doesn't happen that way. And, uh, and then, and then the, the bigger one, and our, uh, the second part to that, is once you got it, now you have to fight to keep it. Yeah. Now yeah. you have to, you know what I mean? You know, and, and that's, that's a part, the second part of that lesson because some guys start living on their laurels going, well, I sold a gold record, so, you know, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? keep writing great music, keep going out there and creating, you know? Right. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's a, the, the double side to that. So you're going to go fight for it and get it and then you have to keep it. So th that's a big part of it. Yeah. Well, those are most of the things I want to cover today. So where can well, people good. find you online? Like to go follow you everywhere. You know what? I, I meant uh, everything is Jimmy DeAnda. Just, I don't have any, you know, special like hard rock and drummer you know or come get my stick drummer you know <laughs> that stuff. just jimmy d add on everything on twitter on instagram on, on facebook um uh, i i am on tiktok now but only as an observer because oh my god oh my god seriously i will watch uh, uh chef videos and and people <laughs> like cooking steaks and eggs and, and how they they did their turkey for, for Thanksgiving. I will watch that shit for hours and hours on end. I swear. So, but I don't do anything on, on, on TikTok, but I am, I am there. So you can still add me. Okay. I mean, that's how it starts. You start right. getting TikTok just by watching. Eventually you'll be making them too. 
<laughs> it's like a it's like a gateway drug, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started. I got it just to, to watch. It took me a long time because, of course, that's like my generation's thing. So there was like a right. whole year where I was like, "No, I'm not going to get TikTok. It's not for me." And then I got it as an observer, and then I started posting. And you know, it's it's a thing now. <laughs> well, I will go and I will follow you once we're done uh, here. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. Well, is there anything else you'd like to include or anything else you wanted to talk about? I just wish you the absolute best. I know you have a bright future ahead of you. And, and I just, I'm very excited to, to see all the great things that, that you do in the future. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Rockin' Interviews podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode.